Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 19, Revelation Overview, Toolbox 2, The Code. As we now move into the book of Revelation, let us never forget that both Jude and Revelation targets those within the visible church with a message which separates those who stand only on the goodness of God from those who are trying extremely hard to be good for God. It divides between those who are living for God and those who let God live in and through them. It is a message primarily to those who abide in the household of God, those who must choose if they will live in unrestrained freedom as a son of God or as a slave to the law, whether that is the law, my law, your law, or any law from wherever it is sourced. In short, Yahweh offers those he has called into his household the choice, the choice to live in him or to turn from him and live for him. Understanding Revelation As we move into this epic book, I have found that one of the hardest things for me to do is to get outside of all that I have been taught in the religion of Christianity, all that I have assumed, and all that in my own biased perspective, I have wanted to be true about the end times. I must admit, I have been brainwashed by much of the fictions that exist today regarding the end times. In fact, this is probably one of the hardest books to just let it be what it is and to accept it for what it says, whether we have complete understanding or not. As such, this book, like no other, tempts us to violate the code and the codex the entirety of the Bible, to make things fit our desired outcomes. And this is something we must avoid at all cost. We must stick to the code. We must thoroughly search out the codex for how the code is used, for they provide us a plumb line to understand and interpret this book. Accordingly, I guarantee this study will be a challenge for all of us, especially as we deal with end times, fiction after fiction, which has been promoted heavily within the religion of Christianity. For instance, in Jude, we touched on one mind-blowing fiction related to the famed 666, the mark of the beast. According to the code, people are even now being marked with the number of his name. This is not an event we are waiting to happen in the future. It is happening, and it is happening every moment of our now. And there are many many other examples like this that will blow our minds as long as we stick to the code. You might be thinking, why is there so much fiction about the end times? Unfortunately, most people do not use the code consistently, if at all, when studying the codex, much less when studying this extremely difficult book. To build a building without a plumb line almost guarantees a crooked structure. The code like a plumb line, guides us to build as straight of a structure as is possible with all 
our human limitations. And the codex cements it all into place. As I said in Jude, every little detail in these books, including the way the Greek language was used, was deliberately put there by the Spirit of God working through human authors. Therefore, understanding the use of the language, as well as the idioms, is critical to understanding what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Personal language disclaimer. I believe the Holy Spirit was very precise in how he worked through authors, the words, and forms of the words he chose, and so on, in communicating his message. I do not believe that any of it was left up to the author's own inclinations or to the customary use of Hebrew and Greek language. After all, all scriptures inspired by God, or literally God breathed. And therefore, it is not a matter of custom, convention, or the author's own choices separate from how the Spirit led them to write and express themselves. For no word of prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The point is that even though there may be standard and customary usages and conventions for understanding the Hebrew and Greek, and even though language in general is quite fluid and the rules are not always as absolute as we would like them to be, the Spirit was not controlled by such human matters. And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can be confident that he is unchanging. In fact, he unequivocally states that fact, for I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, it is beyond appropriate to assume that his methods in the Old Testament did not change in the New Testament. For instance, in reference to the law, Jesus said that every jot and tittle, every letter and teeny tiny stroke, was inspired from his hands and was not made by an act of human will. Thus, it would be consistent with his nature to conclude that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit used the language as he desired in such an exacting way that it reveals patterns and distinguishing characteristics, code, which provide shocking revelation, pun intended, to those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Again, by way of example, the fact that people are even now being marked by the name of the beast or with the number of his name, 666, is understood because the Spirit purposefully chose to use the present tense when addressing this issue. Thus, we cannot and must not conclude that this was a big oops, a spiritual accident, or a convention which John used even though allowable by certain language practices. If it were intended for us to be understood as a future event, the Spirit would have used the future tense, just like when Jesus made the promise to grant overcomers to eat from the tree of life. It is a future promise rendered in the future tense, something for which we are waiting. Once again, in the same way that Jesus made it clear that every jot and tittle, every letter and teeny tiny stroke in the law and the prophets was perfect and placed there by the Spirit of God as he moved in and through people, the New Testament was penned in the exact same way where every little detail and nuance, every jot and tittle, and even every verb tense was intentional and meaningful. Any other understanding would be inconsistent with Yahweh's nature, which does not change. 
Thus, we will explore in detail these patterns and let them be the plumb line for understanding a passage. Thus, if something is rendered in the future tense and it is associated with Jesus' second coming, we will not try to apply it to our now. Similarly, if something is rendered in the present tense, we will not interpret the passage as if we are waiting for something to happen in the future. Is there a truth? Because many Bible experts have decided that our customs, use, and understanding of language overrides the Spirit's intentional use of language, we have so many versions of what people call the truth. This has confused the masses, and it is the reason why we have so many sects and denominations within the religion of Christianity, each with their own set of truths. Just consider how many end times narratives there are out there. Are they all the truth, even though they contradict one another? Clearly not. There is a truth. It is hard to believe that God is who he says he is if he left understanding of what he was saying to human conventions. Spiritual language cannot be decided upon through human means, but through the means which God has intentionally provided within the text itself. There is a truth, and when we let the Bible or the Codex speak for itself, even if it is difficult for our minds to understand, we should get closer to understanding that which is true, that which the Spirit is saying to the churches. In the alternative, if understanding the truth is left to everyone's subjective interpretation, which is based on their own worldview, their own apocalyptic and end times positions, their denomination's view, their seminary instruction, their view on Christology and the role of the church and so on, we are left with a mess, with fiction after fiction. The result is that the treatment of the text will not remain constant and true from one end of the codex to the other. The Spirit has said, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Thus, there cannot be many truths that come from many people's interpretation. There is one truth, his truth, and everything else is a dangerous fiction. There cannot be many positions. There is just his. Now, following the code is a lot like following a map. If you stick to the path that has been transcribed onto the map, there's a good chance you will land at your destiny, to his truth and to his positions, to his view. But if you deviate from that path because you do not like the route that has been detailed, or if you substitute your own religious licentiousness or spiritual sensuality and lay it on top of the map, then you will likely miss the destination. In addition, if we just let the Bible speak for itself and let the codex, as understood through the code, explain things to us, then we have a much better chance of understanding what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It is like having multiple pieces of a map that are all pointing to the same destiny. Put them together and voila, the path is charted. Jesus affirmed that the Holy Spirit is precise in all he does, in every utterance, emphasis, letter, stroke, and breath he caused as he worked in and through specific people and personalities to bring us his word. With that said, much of the code is not generally picked up in our English translations, 
due to a couple of reasons. Number one, the Bible translation legacy or traditions that are deemed acceptable, even though built on obvious presuppositions and theological worldviews, much like the way the name Yahweh has been substituted for the title, the Lord, all throughout Scripture. And number two, we do not tend to read or use English in such an exacting and precise manner as the Spirit intended His Word to be read and understood. For instance, in general, the present tense is largely lost on us in terms of its importance and implication for our lives. Yet, all this detail matters when it comes to prophecy. For without it, we are left superimposing our position and ideas about the future onto what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Over and over, we are challenged to understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches, not superimpose what we think He might have been saying. This means that beyond a truth, there is the truth, though it may be layered in terms of its application to time. The point is, that the positional approaches taken by many to interpreting this book can leave us thinking that there are many truths, many ways to understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches, and many possible interpretations. I will challenge us to lay aside those positions, for they tend to box us into a man-made construct that sometimes tortures the truth and does not consistently express the truth. Even though we may wrestle with our understanding, There is an understanding that the Spirit wants all of us to know. And while difficult, the more we understand the ways the Spirit talks and expresses Himself in code all throughout the Codex and consistently apply this code to any given text, the more likely we will come to understand the truth He expressed as opposed to our own opinions and views built around our own theological and end times presuppositions. Yes. In the same way that personally knowing and experiencing the name of Yahweh gives us understanding into Yahweh's personhood and his character, knowing how the Spirit speaks gives us understanding as to what is the truth versus what is an opinion of the truth. By way of emphasis, in the letters to the seven churches, each letter is concluded with this phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Based on the code, however, utilizing the verb constructs, this would better be translated for our understanding as follows. He who is now having an ear, you are commanded to hear or be consistently tuned into what the Spirit now says to the churches. Applying the code helps us understand that not everyone now has an ear to hear. Some people simply do not. Some are not listening. Some don't want to listen. But for those who do, the Spirit commands them to hear what the Spirit now says to the churches. This means that His message is not just for those who heard it way back in the first century, but for us in our now. This rendering communicates what the Spirit expects from those who can hear Him and how He wants them to live every moment of their now with open ears. The Spirit is always intentional and never constrained by human convention, nor presuppositions. Everything he does has purpose and meaning. Therefore, we need to now be tuned into what the Spirit is now saying to the churches. The Code and the Codex It's far too easy to give way to our own personal bias and to all the brainwashing that has been done to our mind 
in the religion of Christianity when it comes to matters of the end times. But one way to combat that tendency is to maniacally stick to the code and to the codex. The code is the cipher for interpreting the codex. Those who do not use this cipher will come to all sorts of erroneous conclusions which derive from their instinctual religious wisdom. And no matter how many people, teachers, experts, or scholars subscribe to these fictions, and no matter how loud and often these fictions are publicized and repeated over and over again, they fall short and require significant compromise of the text and textual principles like expositional constancy, which I will explain shortly. For instance, we will find that the code reveals that certain events ascribed by many to the end times are happening every moment of our now, from the now of times past to the now of today. This truth significantly alters our understanding of the end times narratives. I have divided the code into two toolboxes. In Jude, we studied toolbox one, key language elements, which focused on the use of verbs. We learned that the tense of a verb helps us understand how an action does or does not fit into time. The voice gives us understanding of the subject of the verb, and the mood indicates the nature of the verb and its context. I would encourage you to go back to study Toolbox 1, Key Language Elements, and get extremely familiar with the use of the verbs. It'll be critical to our understanding Revelation, which moves fluidly in and out of time, from things in heaven where there is no time, to things of the past, present, and future. And often, it is all layered on top of itself. By the way, if you go to the website threshermediagroup.com, I've posted all the transcripts and you can download the text of Toolbox 1 so it is an easy and handy reference. The Code, Toolbox 2, Key Idioms Revelation contains many codes communicated through colors, objects, numbers, and phrases, all of which, along with the key language elements, Toolbox 1, provides us a deeper or alternate meaning than what we might otherwise conclude just reading the English translations. We touched on this in Jude with such images as Cain, Balaam, Korah, craggy rocks, clouds without rain, double dead trees, etc. My goal in this study is to understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches and to help us all let go of our presuppositions regarding end times events. Therefore, an accurate understanding of the code both language, pictures, and idioms, as it is used throughout the Codex, is critical to understanding what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The most important issue, therefore, is to determine the correct meaning of the Codex, a passage in the Bible. For without a plumb line to interpret the Codex, we are back to interjecting our own opinion and bias into the text. Fortunately, the Codex, the Bible, holds the key. Yes, the code is found in and throughout the codex. Therefore, to accurately understand the code, one needs to be aptly versed in the codex, the Old and the New Testaments, or else risk missing the Spirit's meaning underlying his consistent use of colors, objects, numbers, phrases, and key language elements. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Except for certain historical matters, which must be obtained from external sources, it is vital to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Accordingly, I attempt to use the Codex as thoroughly as possible 
and derive my understanding from within. In other words, to simply let the Bible speak for itself. And the Spirit is remarkably consistent and precise in his use of the code all throughout the codex from one end to the other. And if we explore the codex honestly and carefully, we can begin to understand accurately his communication through his consistent use of colors, objects, numbers, and phrases all throughout the Bible. This consistent and precise use of the code has been given a scholarly phrase, expositional constancy. The principle of expositional constancy states that an idiom is used the same way throughout Scripture. For example, the rock slash stone, leaven, the lamb, the scarlet thread, oil, wine, water, they're all used, respectively, to communicate a deeper but consistent meaning. For example, the rock slash stone has overtones to Christ. Leaven is a symbol of the invasive and corrupting nature of sin. The lamb speaks of sacrifice. The scarlet thread speaks of hope. And oil and wine and water are all allusions to the Holy Spirit and how he manifests himself throughout the Codex. Expositional constancy is a big deal. Huge. Again, the Spirit is very precise in how he communicates, and so we must be precise in understanding his communication. However, in much of the end times fiction, teachers stray from the code and interpret things according to their own sensuality, their instinctual religious wisdom, which has the effect of twisting the scriptures to meet their own vain purposes. And they are so intoxicated with their own sensuality, that they do not even see the obvious inconsistencies and inaccuracies in their interpretations. I have even heard mainline teachers take a stand on the need for expositional constancy and then turn right around in the very same message and violate the principle when it fits their personal view of end times events. For instance, white is a color which symbolizes purity and righteousness. Throughout the Codex, where white is the focus of a person or an object, it would best be understood as a statement on the purity of that person or object. The multitudes before the throne of God are all clothed in white robes. The 24 elders are clothed in white garments. Those who overcome will be clothed in white garments and will walk with Jesus in white, for they are worthy. The martyrs under the throne of God are given white robes, and the armies of heaven are clothed in fine linen white and clean, all symbolizing their purity. Why? Because they have washed their garments, their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And blessed are those who are even now washing their robes, making them white in the blood of the Lamb. Likewise, Jesus, one like the Son of Man, comes at the time of the rapture sitting on a white cloud, indicating the purity of the one who sits on the cloud. And the throne of God at the great and final judgment is white, indicating the purity of the one who sits on the throne in judgment. Therefore, it is beyond safe to conclude that white is code, consistently used to speak of righteousness and purity. Accordingly, it would be a contravention of the code and a dismissal of the principle of expositional constancy to suddenly ascribe to a white image blatant deceit and evil. Yet that is what many teachers do when they summarily declare that the white horse 
that is set loose upon the opening of the first of seven seals is the Antichrist. The text does not naturally support that conclusion, and there is no imagery used in that passage which can be properly ascribed to deceit and evil, the core attributes of the Antichrist. This position therefore stands as an example of sensuality, licentiousness, and religious instinctual wisdom. In order to avoid the trap of manipulating scripture to achieve a desired outcome, we will stick to the code when interpreting colors, numbers, objects, symbols, and the use of language, and obtain our understanding of these images from the Codex. We will let the Bible speak for itself. This will be a natural curb or check on the temptation to mix fiction with truth. To understand what the Spirit is saying to the church, we must be willing to challenge our bias, what we have been taught, our own instinctual religious wisdom and sensuality, and choose to let the Bible speak for itself. It is amazingly, but not surprisingly, consistent. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.